Amen and amen. Aren't you glad for that truth? Death is dead and Christ is risen. It was finished upon that cross. Amen? Amen. Let's open in your copy of the Word of God this morning to the book of Matthew chapter 3. Once again, Matthew chapter 3. Matthew chapter 3. And once again, we're looking at um, verses 13 through 17. And last week, we kind of looked at that from a theological point of view, how Christ is revealed as the Son of the Trinity, the Son of the Father, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. And now this week, we're going to go back to the text and look at it in context, and we're going to see um, the implications and applications that we have here. Matthew chapter 3, beginning in verse 13. It says, Then Jesus came from Galilee to the Jordan to John to be baptized by him. John would have prevented him, saying, I need to be baptized by you. And do you come to me? But Jesus answered him, Let it be so now, for thus it is fitting for us to fulfill all righteousness. And then he consented. And then when Jesus was baptized, immediately he went up from the water, and behold, the heavens were opened to him. And he saw the Spirit of God descending like a dove and coming to rest on him. And behold, a voice from heaven said, This is my beloved Son with whom I am well pleased. Let me ask you a question this morning. What, if I were to ask you, what was the greatest hymn that was ever written? What would your answer be? I think we could probably get a lot of different answers in the room, couldn't we? Uh, for some of you, you like the old, you like what you call the old music. It's the music that, you know, was there, was new when you were growing up. And so for some of you, you like the old music. Or for some of us, we like the old, old music, the stuff that goes back to the 17, 1600s. Notice I said we when I said that. <laughs> For some of you, it might be uh, some of the newer stuff that we've been introducing, some of the new hymns that we've been bringing in, like the one we just sang, It Was Finished Upon the Cross. Isn't, isn't that such rich theology? That's what we like to sing here. We like to sing rich theology. We want to sing substance. We want to know our faith, and the best way we can learn our faith is to sing it. Amen? And so we, we want to sing songs that have substance and depth to them so that we will have substance and we will have depth in our life. Maybe, so maybe your favorite is among some of them. Maybe your favorite is one that you've heard on the radio or, or something like that. But I dare say that none of those are really the greatest hymn that has ever been written. None of them. I think the greatest hymn that has been written was written by the pen of Paul, and we don't think it originated with Paul, but it was written by his pen in Philippians chapter two in verses five through 11. And we don't know the tune of this hymn. We don't even know if there was a tune to this hymn. I imagine there probably was. But in this hymn, he says, he says that Christ, though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God something to be grasped, but he emptied himself. And he took the form of a servant, 
Being born in the likeness of men and being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. And the hymn goes on to talk about his exaltation, how God has given him a name that is above every name, that at the name of Jesus, every knee will bow in heaven and earth and tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of the Father. I do believe that is the greatest Christian hymn that has ever been written. Because, and, and the reason why I bring it up is because what we see in, in hymnody there, what we see in theology there, we see in demonstration at Jesus's baptism. There's a connection here that what we see in Jesus's baptism, what we see in theology, we sing in doxology in Philippians chapter two. In fact, I can't help but to wonder if whoever penned this hymn, whether it was original with Paul or, or whether it was some early church member that has remained unknown in history, I can't help but to wonder if maybe they were thinking about Jesus's baptism as they wrote out these words. And so what we see in what we see in worship there we see in demonstration at the baptism of Jesus Christ. Let me and my and my purpose for you this morning is to see how Christ has identified with us that Christ has identified with you as a sinner. Christ has identified with sinful people and as you understand that, you will gain confidence to draw near to him. That's my prayer for you this morning by the end of this sermon, that you will have confidence. Let me set this in a little context. We've been, we've been talking about Matthew and we were looking at the ministry of John the Baptist. We were talking about his ministry is, is preaching repentance and, and we looked at the fruits of genuine repentance a couple of weeks ago that we must bear the fruits of genuine repentance. We must forsake things like self-righteousness. We must fear judgment and we must flee to Christ. And now as we look at that and we're coming really to the end of the first major section of Matthew, and the question is, we know what we need to turn from, but now we need to ask the question, what do we turn to? Or who do we turn to? Because repentance is not complete if we are only turning from sin. That's not enough. We turn over new leaves all the time. Maybe you've reached a point in your life where you've cut up your credit card and, and, and threw it away saying, I, I'm gonna take financial responsibility now. Maybe you've done that. But beloved, that's not enough, is it? Because you've still got all the accumulated debt from that account. And in the same way, it's not enough to simply repent of sins and turn away from a sin, but we must turn to the Savior, and so what we see in this text and what's being demonstrated in, in Christ's baptism and what Matthew is directing us to do is that because Christ identified with us, we must turn to him in faith. We must turn to him in faith. Now the question is here, in his baptism, how did Christ identify with us? And by extension, how do we turn 
to him in faith. And I'm gonna show you three ways that Christ identified with us very quickly this morning. Three ways that Christ identified with us. Number one, Christ identified with us by humbling himself. By humbling himself. He comes to John. He's, he's coming out of Nazareth. We know from other gospels that he's about 30 years old at this point. So we've skipped very far ahead in, in the narrative of his life. We know that he is living in Nazareth. He is learning carpentry. We know that from another gospel. We know that uh, he is growing in wisdom and stature and favor with God and in favor with man. We know that. But now he comes forth from Galilee to be baptized by John. And John recognizes Jesus immediately. John recognizes him immediately. Now, I don't, I don't know that John and Jesus had ever met prior to this. Uh, there, is a, there is a text in John uh, where John, the gospel John, that records John the Baptist saying that he did not know him there's a couple ways that can be interpreted. So I don't know that John had ever met Jesus prior to this, even though we know they were cousins. Um, but on the other hand, you can imagine that John's parents told him stories. You can imagine when John, as a young man, walked up to his dad, Zacharias, and said, Zacharias, all the other boys my age are named after their dads. Why, why didn't you name me after you? And I imagine Zechariah told him the story of the angel in the holy place. I imagine Elizabeth told him the story of when Mary came pregnant with the son of God and how when they came together and they met, John, even in the womb, had leapt for joy in the womb knowing that his savior and his God was literally a womb away from him. I imagine John as a prophet probably knew as Jesus walked up, he knew prophetically that this is the one. John knew his entire life that this was the one that he was waiting to meet. I imagine that John waited for this day in the same anticipation that you and I are waiting to see the face of the Lord. John was waiting for this day, and oh, would you not have wanted to be there for John, for this man who, who had learned his entire life is here but for one purpose, and it is to prepare the way for this man, and here he is standing in front of him. Oh, what a day. And yet Jesus comes to be baptized by him. That's strange, isn't it? So you can understand John's reaction. I need to be baptized by you. You're coming to me? Something similar happened in John 13. I wanna, I wanna turn there. John 13 Chapter 13, the Gospel of John. And in John 13, verses six through nine, the disciples have finished with dinner, I believe, and, and now they are receiving instruction from the Lord. And Jesus, at some point in the course of the dinner, we don't know exactly when it happens, but he takes a basin of water and he wraps a towel around his waist and he goes to disciple to disciple and washes every single one of their feet. And when he comes to Simon Peter in verse six, 
Peter says to him, Lord, do you wash my feet? Lord, don't you know who you are? Have you forgotten? You're gonna wash my feet? And Jesus says, what I'm doing now, you don't understand, but afterwards you will understand. And Peter, being stubborn, a lot more stubborn than John the Baptist is, Peter says in verse eight, you will never wash my feet. And Jesus answered, and listen to this, he answers, if I do not wash you, you have no share with me. Beloved, in other words, if you do not turn, if we do not turn to Jesus in his humility, then we will have no share with him in his glory. If we want to come to Jesus, if we want to come to the kingdom, if we want to come to heaven, then we must come to Jesus through the cross. We must come to Jesus through his humiliation. We must come to Jesus just like the Gentiles, the Greeks who wanted to see Jesus and Jesus starts talking about his crucifixion as if he, as, as if he ignores them. He's not ignoring them, he's answering their question. They say, sirs, we would see Jesus and Jesus says, if you would see me, you must see me on the cross. If you would come to Jesus, you must come in his humility or you will have no share with him in his glory. So the question is, how do we turn to Jesus? How do we turn to Jesus? Beloved, we must come to Jesus through the cross. We must understand that Christ is not just a prophet. He's not just a teacher. He is all those things, but he is more. He is not just a Maccabean leader. He's not just a Jewish um, um, cynic. He's not just a sage. He's not just a rebel. He's not just a zealot. He's, uh, he's none of those things. He is Christ the Lord, God incarnate, who has come and identified with us. He humbled himself and took upon the form of a servant. And by the way, that's a very nice translation. The translation is actually, the word is actually slave. He took on the form of a slave and being found among us, he identified with us. And if we would come to Jesus, we must come through his humility. We cannot see Christ in his humility, we cannot see Christ on the cross and approach him in pride. Can you really look at Jesus on the cross and say, I can do better? Can you really look at Jesus on the cross and say, that's not enough? Can you really look at Jesus on the cross and say that he has not moved heaven and earth in order to find you? Can you really look at Jesus on the cross and know and doubt his love for you, for the very ones who put him there? Can you really do that? Beloved, you cannot see Christ in his humility and come away prideful. 
If you're coming away from Jesus in pride, then you are not coming away from Jesus. You're coming away from a Jesus that is a figment of your own imagination. Jesus has identified with us by humbling himself to be one of us. Secondly, Christ identified with us not only by humbling himself, but Christ identified with us by submitting himself. By submitting himself. Look at verse uh, 15. Look, what do I mean by this? In verse 15, Jesus answered him and said, let it be so now, for thus it is fitting for us to fulfill all righteousness. Now, what does that mean? What is that even talking about? I want you to understand, why does Jesus even come to be baptized in the first place? John is a prophet after the Old Testament understanding. In fact, he is the last prophet of the Old Testament um, school of prophets. He is the last prophet who will come and who will, and who will foretell the coming of the Messiah. He is the last prophet, and in, and in thus being so, he is preaching from an Old Testament point of view. And he is calling people, he is calling Israel to repent based upon the commands and based upon the law. In fact, uh, some people have actually said that that's what a prophet does. That a prophet is essentially a prosecuting attorney for God. So Tim, you got a pretty good... uh, you got a pretty good career there, brother. <laughs> so a prophet is one who takes God's law and he, and he brings it to the people of Israel and he prosecutes them based on that law and says, unless you repent, the covenant curses directed from the law are coming. That's essentially what a prophet does. And John, as a prophet, is fulfilling that role. He is calling people to repent, and he is telling them that you must be baptized for the confession of sins. And yet Jesus comes, and here Jesus is also being baptized. Why is that? Again, you can understand why John is having a hard time understanding this. You see, it's not just a matter that Jesus had to be without sin, but Jesus had to submit himself to the law of God. In fact, he had to submit himself to his own law. He had to submit himself to his own law. Christ must be born under the law. He must be submissive to the law in order to save us. It wasn't just that he had no sin. It wasn't just that he had no sin. It was that, and I love how theologian Robert Latham, he puts this. He says, he was more than sinless, but he rendered complete positive, faithful, and intentional obedience to God's law. In other words, it's not just that he was, it's not just that he avoided sin, but it is that he actively, positively, joyfully obeyed the law at every juncture and at every command. That's why Jesus says that not one jot nor one tittle of the law will pass away until all is fulfilled. Who fulfilled it? Christ did. And listen, it's not enough that that we be sinless, 
but it is that we must have perfect, active, and total obedience to God. That is what God is looking for. Just to give you an example, I met this man who, uh, and <laughs> Mark was probably wondering what in the world this slide is, but I met this man. He has been married for 30 years, and uh, we were having, uh, I was having dinner with him one time, and he proudly told me that uh, I have not told my wife I love you in 30 years since the day we were married. Haven't told her I love you in 30 years. He didn't look like that, but that's who he reminded me of. And so... And so the, I was like, well, why on earth not? And he said, well, I told her on our wedding day, so that should, and I haven't changed my mind, so that should be enough. Really? Ladies, we just got past Valentine's Day. Wouldn't you just love your Valentine from your man to say that? Hey, sweetie, another year's gone by, haven't changed my mind yet. Boy, doesn't that just warm your hearts? You see, it's not just enough that we don't do the wrong things. We gotta do the right things. And we gotta do them perfectly. It's not enough just for your husband, ladies, to not change his mind. Men, you need to be telling your, your lovely wives that you love her every single day, multiple times a day. Because would you really be satisfied with that? Would you really be satisfied? You couldn't be. So what in the world makes us think that God is satisfied with us just being sinless? Just avoiding sin. What in the world makes us think that God is okay with that? No, there's got to be more. It's not just being sinless. It is being righteous. It is being holy. It is being just. And it is being perfection in righteousness. So how do we turn to Christ? We must understand that, beloved, our best righteousness is as nothing but filthy rags. That the best we can come up with is going to fall short of the divine standard. That the best we can do is tainted by our sin that everything that we might try to offer before God is not gonna be enough. Beloved, you know in your own lives, don't you? Is there not always, even when we try to do good, is there not always some mixture of wanting God's glory and wanting recognition? Does that not creep in our hearts every now and then? I'm not saying every time, but just every now and then, does, not, does, does that not creep in our hearts? Is there not always kind of a mixture of faith and doubt? We have not reached perfection. And there's no way that you and I can ever reach perfection. And if we would turn to Christ, then we must understand that it is Christ's perfection that we need. And nothing less will satisfy. Nothing less will suffice. And beloved, if you are satisfied with your own righteousness this morning, then you have a problem before God. You may have fooled everyone else, which by the way, you probably haven't. 
but you may have fooled everyone else, but you will never fool God. He knows. We talked this morning in Sunday school, God is omniscient. He is all-knowing. He knows the beginning from the end. He knows every hair on our heads. And beloved, he knows our hearts. And if you are satisfied with your own righteousness, don't ever, don't ever fall into the trap of thinking that just because you are satisfied with your religion, that means that God must be. He's not. Nothing short but total divine positive perfection will do. And that is why Christ identified with us by submitting himself to the law to offer that perfect satisfaction, that perfect obedience on your behalf, on my behalf in a very real way. Don't take this too far, but in a very real way, when we read through the gospels and we see the righteousness that Christ earned for God, we are seeing our righteousness. Why? Because this is the righteousness that is put on our account whenever we come to Christ in faith. Our faith is accounted by God as righteousness. And as a result, as we read we can see the righteousness that Christ earned for us. So how do we turn to Christ? We come to Christ in complete dependence of his righteousness that he has earned on our behalf. And then finally, Christ identified with us, not just by humbling himself, not just by submitting himself, but he's identified with us by offering himself, by offering himself. Go back to verse 15 again. And it says, uh, Jesus answered him, let it be so now, for thus is fitting for us to fulfill all righteousness. What, is, what does that term mean? What is he talking about? You see, John's baptism was a baptism of confession of sin. It was a baptism of cleansing for sin. It was a baptism of repentance for sin. And so why was Jesus baptized? Have you ever wondered that question? Why did Jesus get baptized? I heard someone say one time, well, Jesus got baptized because he was demonstrating to us that it was required for salvation. Um, I, I don't think so because, because John's baptism is a baptism of confession. In fact, Paul makes it very clear that the baptism of John is not enough. He ran into a bunch of believers who had only received John's baptism. And so what did he do? He baptized them again. So that's not the answer. That's not the answer. What is? Why did Jesus get baptized? I remember, I think it came out in 2000. There was a, there was a TV movie, a, a Jesus movie. And I remember, I remember this because a bunch of CCM artists and even a bunch of secular artists uh, put, together a, uh, put together a soundtrack for it and it was really cool. And I, I remember watching the movie and, and it was all right. I mean, it was kind of weird that they had Satan in a business suit tempting Jesus, but that was beyond the point. Little anacrostic there, but, uh, but, uh, but I remember at the baptism scene especially because Jesus, the, character, the guy who was playing Jesus, I don't remember who it was, but he comes to the guy playing John and, and, uh, and he says, I want to be baptized. And, and John in the movie tells him, if you repent of your sins, if you confess your sins, you can be baptized. And I remember thinking, 
Man, they got that wrong. They got that wrong. But what was interesting is that they got John's baptism right. That's what John's baptism was all about. So why was Jesus baptized? You see, beloved, Jesus wasn't baptized because he was a sinner, but he was baptized because I am. He was baptized because you are. He was baptized because he is identifying with sinners. He is identifying with you. He is identifying with me. And that he is identifying and showing that in this identification, he is taking on sin itself and he is going to take it to the cross and he is going to nail our sin to the cross as if Christ himself were our sin. For he made him who knew no sin to be sin for us in order that we might become the righteousness of God. Christ is identifying with sinners and he is showing through his baptism that I am going to die sin's death so that you don't have to. It is an identification of substitution. It is Christ demonstrating that he is going to take your name to the cross and he is going to die for you. What does baptism mean? What does it mean that when we go down under the water, what does that signify? It signifies death and yes, burial, right? And Christ is saying that I am going to die sin's death for my people. That's amazing. Because here Christ, we see in his life that he has practiced positive, active, perfection, obedience to God. And then he went to the cross and he bore sin's penalty. And in doing so, he has fulfilled all righteousness. Don't miss that little word, all. Don't miss that. Because he fulfilled not only the righteous demands of the law, that he must be perfect righteous for us, but he fulfilled the penalty that that law demanded of us so that you and I could be fully forgiven and free from the penalty of sin. So beloved, how do we turn to Christ? We turn to Christ by acknowledging that his death on the cross is enough. It is sufficient, it is powerful, and it is enough for me. Look at uh, Hebrews chapter four, verses 14 through 16. I want you to see this. He says, since we have such a great high priest who's passed through the heavens, Jesus, the son of God, let us hold fast to our confession. For we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weaknesses, but one who in every respect has been tempted as we are. And we're gonna see that next week. Tempted as we are 
and yet without sin. And watch this, what's the application there? He says, then let us with confidence draw near to the throne of grace that we may receive mercy and find grace to help in our time of need. What does it mean to turn to Christ? Beloved, let me ask you a question. What grace do you need this morning? What help do you need this morning? I, 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 I get so burdened to see so many Christians who are, who are living in the perpetual guilt of their past sins who are living as if they have to pay back something. I see Christians who are struggling with habits they can't defeat. I see Christians who are struggling with sin that they cannot get a hold of. And they're wondering, is there any victory? What does it mean to turn to Christ? It means to draw near to him with confidence knowing that the throne of grace has enough mercy and help for you in your time of need. Beloved, are you struggling with guilt? Are you struggling with problems in your marriage? Are you struggling with addictions? Are you struggling with with anxiety, depression? Are you struggling with hurt? Are you, bear, are, you, are you holding on to grudges and, and, and bearing, just refusing to forgive someone and it's absolutely tearing up all your relationships? It's tearing up your entire life. Draw near to the throne of grace and you will find the help and the mercy you need in your time of need. What does it mean to turn to Christ? It means to draw near to him in confidence through the scriptures, through prayer, through worship. To draw near to him and find what you need. And you know what it also means? If you're here and you don't know Christ this morning as your savior, it means to draw near to him for your complete and total salvation. Christ has done everything necessary He lived a perfect life of obedience to earn the righteousness you need. And then he went to the cross and he died the sinner's death to pay the penalty for your sins. And you can have total freedom, total freedom from the penalty and the power of sin in your life. That's what he's given us this morning. And you can draw near with confidence that he, is going, that he has more than enough grace to help you in your time of need. Our Father, we thank you for these wonderful truths. We thank you for this demonstration of Christ on the cross. And Lord, I know for a fact that there are those here this morning who are, who are in need of your grace, who are in need of your help. And Lord, you have told us that we may draw near with confidence because we have a high priest who can sympathize with us. Lord, you identified with us. You, you came as a man, you humbled yourself, you submitted yourself to the law in perfect obedience. 
And then you offered yourself as a sacrifice for sins. And Lord, I pray this morning that this one here who does not know you as their own Savior, as their own Lord, I pray that today would be the day that you would draw them to yourself. Lord, let them see Jesus and his humility and know that he has destroyed all of our pride. He has destroyed all of our self-righteousness. He has destroyed it all on the cross. And he has shown us that he is Lord. And may we submit to him and trust him completely as our savior. I wanna ask you to stand. I'm gonna ask you to just bow your heads for a moment and as we, uh, as the musicians play this English tune, a hymn you may not be as familiar with, Oh Master, let me walk with thee. But I'm just gonna ask you as you bow your heads to just reflect on what has been said from the word. And if you're here this morning and you don't know Christ, I would invite you to come to learn how you can know Christ as your savior. If you're here this morning and you're struggling, and you just want someone to walk with you to draw near to him in confidence. Maybe you need to come this morning. Whatever your need is, I invite you to come.